Well, I want to share a message with you this morning that I'm going to entitle Cheese and Crackers. And uh, you're going to have to probably wait a good amount of time to find out exactly what that means. But let that stir around a little bit in your, in your heart. Go ahead and turn to uh, John's Gospel this morning. We're beginning to finish up in the Gospel of John, kind of praying about where to go from this point. But uh, we are here now knowing that um, Jesus has died on the cross. It it always uh, just, I don't know, it's amazing to me how the the disciples must have felt. You know, they, they left it all. They followed Jesus around for three years. They were convinced uh, that he was the Messiah. Uh, you know, Peter gets that revelation from God. You, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And then they see him die on the cross. You know, I mean, he raised uh, you know, Lazarus from the dead. He walked on water. He did, And he's dead. I mean, can you imagine how bummed out these guys were, right? All, all of his followers. He had more than the 12, right? Just, just how crushed they were, how confused they were. So here we are. Uh, Jesus has died. They, they laid him in the tomb. And now John chapter 20, verse 1, says this. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. As as I said before, last week, week before, um, the different gospel writers wrote for different audiences, some to the Jews, some to the Gentiles. And though, as the scripture proclaims, they were all moved by the Holy Spirit, they were all anointed, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, Yet for these different audiences and for different purposes, they highlighted different things about the life and ministry of Jesus, different things that he said, different uh, healings, different miracles, all that kind of thing, to fit what their particular purpose in writing was. So John here does not include what some of the other gospel writers actually make a big deal of. Uh, and that is what happened to Mary and the other uh, Marys and, and those that, that went to the tomb that morning. Can we turn me? I'm a little too hot, I think. I'm getting some, I'm bouncing off the walls here. Thank you, Joe. Um, but, but the other gospel writers seem to make this, this huge deal out of this. I, I remember back in the, in the 80s, there was a song by the uh, uh, Christian artist Carmen, if you remember that, Sunday's on the Way. Remember that song? Um, it goes like this. Well, the stone was rolled away and it bounced a time or two and an angel stepped inside and said, I'm Gabriel, who are you? If you're wondering where the Lord is at this very hour, I'll tell you he's alive and well with resurrection power. You know, and it was just, you listen to that song and you're like, yes, you know, I mean, it was this huge deal. He's not here, he's risen, right? Um, Matthew chapter 28, verse 3. 
uh, talks about this angel, says his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, come see the place where he lay. Again, this this just incredible moment in history when they come to the tomb the angel is there dazzling you know and the whole thing and john doesn't mention it at all right so uh just just kind of interesting how he chooses what he would do um he just basically says mary saw the stone was rolled away and went back to tell the others now here is something worth mentioning Uh, In those days, a woman's testimony was not even allowed in the court. We've come a long way since then, and all the ladies said, amen. Um, But at that time, in that period in history, uh, a woman's testimony was not seen as valid. But all of the gospel writers say that it was Mary or the women that were with her who were the first eyewitnesses of the empty tomb. A very bold step, uh, which actually leads credence to the fact that the tomb was empty. Because as Craig Keener points out in his Bible background commentary, this runs counter to anything the later church would have chosen to invent, right? You see it? If, if they, you know, uh, were trying to uh, push this thing that, that their Savior had risen and all that. They wouldn't have put a woman's testimony there because their culture would have rejected it, right? Either they, either they didn't know the culture that they grew up in or they weren't too smart in the head, right? They wouldn't have done that if this had been fake. But it actually, since they did, leads credence, gives credence to the fact that the tomb was indeed empty. So according to John, Mary runs back to tell the rest of the disciples, picking up at verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Again, we see the humble John, not wanting any credit, uh, not wanting to name himself, point any attention to him in his gospel, calling himself the other disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, I, I like that. You know, here he is saying, my only identity, my only claim to any worth is that Jesus loved me. Nothing in and of myself. I'm not this, I'm not that, the other thing. But you know what? Jesus loves me, right? I like that. No accolades for him. He was an un- unworthy sinner, right? Destined for a godless eternity. But all that changed. His identity, his life, how he lived it, and his eternal destiny, all because Jesus loved him. Amen? As he does you and me. Have you received that love? Has it become your identity? Verse 5, And stooping to look in, this is John, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. I, you just imagine, he's, he, he's there at the, at the tomb, 
and, and he sees the grave clothes, you know, laying there, and he's just standing there trying to process this. You know, three and a half years of walking with Jesus, and, and, and Jesus dying on the cross, and now he's looking in the tomb, and it's just kind of needs some time to sink in, right? Then verse 6, then Simon Peter following him, came following him and went into the tomb. Peter, impetuous Peter, you know, I gotta go in and say, what's going on here? So he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Another little item of note in the scripture here. If this had been the work of grave robbers, which there were in those days, and some said, oh, no, somebody just stole the body and, you know, this kind of thing. If it had been work of grave robbers, like any other robbery, they would have wanted to get in and get out quickly before they were seen and heard, right? So they're, 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 they're not going to take the time to take this face cloth and fold it up nice and neat and put it, you know, not going to happen. Verse 8, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. So John is processing this information. He walks in, sees the whole scene, and when he took it all in, something rose up in his heart. He knew that he knew that he knew that Jesus was no mere mortal man whose life ended on the cross a couple of days ago. He believed that Jesus was and is the divine Son of God who walked out of the tomb under his own power. But he still didn't understand it all, as we will see in verse 9. He still didn't understand it all, right? Isn't that the way it is for all of us? We hear the gospel, right, that Jesus came because God so loved the world that he, that he died on the cross taking our sin, taking the penalty for our sin, dying in our place, and then rising again, victorious over sin, victorious over the grave, opening the door for us to be saved, to have eternal life, right? And the truth of the gospel at that moment is made alive to our hearts, and we believe, we receive Jesus as our Savior, we put our faith and our trust in him, but we still don't understand it all. There's things I still don't understand. How about you, right? Verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So the disciples, some of them at least, believed, right? The rest, the Bible says, once he appeared to them and stood in their midst, they believed, right? He, actually, when he, when he first stood there, it said, some doubted. But he said, come, look, look, you know, touch me, right? Flesh and blood that I am. And they believed. They believed enough to then go out under the threat of martyrdom every day, put their lives on the line to travel around and to spread the good news of the gospel. So they, they believed and it changed their lives. But they still, at that point, didn't understand, the scripture says here, that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They didn't understand, as, as Jews, they, in Judaism, they didn't understand that all those animal sacrifices through the years, right, that, that, that had been made for centuries, may have covered over sin by God's grace, but had not fully ever paid for it. 
You see, God told Adam and Eve way back in the garden, the day that you eat from that forbidden tree, you will die, right? And certainly from that point on, sin and death came into the world and there was a death sentence on this first couple and their posterity, right? They are under a death sentence. They are as good as dead. They didn't fall over dead at that point, but they were as good as dead. They, they disconnected in their wonderful relationship with God. Uh, I like to use the illustration of a lamp. They got unplugged. They could no longer shine the light of God's glory. They were a lamp. They, you know, some lamps are beautiful, ornate, gold, whatever, but they couldn't fulfill their purpose. They couldn't carry the light of God because they were spiritually dead, right? So they didn't understand um, that it had to be a human being, a perfect, sinless human being who would shed his own blood. That human death would pay for the sin of Adam and Eve and all the rest of us. So he had to die. He had to shed his blood. He had to offer that blood on the altar in heaven so that, so that you and I could be cleansed and rise again to prove that indeed it was accepted, that it was finished, that our sin was paid for, and that we can have eternal life. They didn't understand it but we can, right? Verse 10, Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. She went back to the tomb. She's still trying to process all of this. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one of his head, one at his head and one at his feet. John here records that the angels that had met them there initially at the tomb, came back. They came back for one distraught disciple named Mary. Now, I'm not saying that all of us should expect angelic visitations, right? But neither do I think that we should ever see ourselves as not high enough on God's pecking order for a wonderful move of God, a wonderful visitation of God, a wonderful experience with God. Because I know that that's for the pastor, that's for the Billy Grahams, that's for this and that. They have, you know, no, I'm not, no. Mary Magdalene, the former prostitute, not one of the twelve, but distraught over the death of her Lord, not really knowing what to make of it. God sent these two angels back just for her. Isn't that beautiful? God knows what we need and when we need it. When he knows we need it, right? Sometimes the seeming lack of activity on God's part helps us to trust and deepen our faith rather than to rely on feelings and experiences. He knows the best time and everything, right? There, I, you know, I, I, there's times I just cried out, God, you know, do something. And God says, no, I need you to dig in a little deeper. I need you to trust me on this, right? 
Not going to put out Gideon's fleece on the lawn and wait for the, the dew, you know, everywhere on the lawn except for the, the no. I, want, I need you to trust me in this and hold on. And it's that those times that build our faith deeper and stronger and help us to get through. Because uh, if, if everything was just, you know, fast, 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 you know how our society is. Now we want everything fast, fast, fast. We're the credit card instant mashed potatoes generation, right? Everything now. Sometimes we need to wait. Down to verse 13. They said to her, the angels, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have lain him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Okay, here's something rather mystical, uh, mysterious about Jesus in his glorified risen state. The same thing happens on the road to Emmaus. Uh, a little while later, where Luke 24 says, where, where Jesus is actually walking along with two people, and he's talking to them. And they say, don't you know what's happened? Jesus came, and we thought he was this and that. And so he's, he's walking with them. They, they know him. They would recognize him, but they don't recognize him until they sit down to get something to eat, and he gives thanks, and all of a sudden their eyes are open. Okay? So Jesus, in his glorified state, can choose to hide or reveal himself as he wishes, we're just going to have to understand that fact and move on, right? We don't know. The Bible doesn't explain it any further than that, so it is what it is. Verse 15, Jesus says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Mary still wasn't sure what had happened. And Jesus says to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Again, gifting Mary to be the first eyewitness, not only of the empty tomb, but of the risen Christ himself. What a gift. What a gift. But he says to her, do not cling to me. Right? The, the Greek verb here, tense here is more like, stop clinging to me. Can you imagine? Okay? Put yourself where Mary is. She's Again, she's followed Jesus for all this time. He died on the cross. She, she wanted to just come and wrap his body. Even if he wasn't who he said he was and all this, she still loved him, right? With all of her heart and soul and mind and strength, she loved him. And, and, and now he's gone and she doesn't know what to do. She turns around and there he is. She says, Mary. And, and you can just imagine the most tender, loving voice, right? And, and her eyes are open and she knows it's him. What's she going to do? She's going to run to him and wrap her arms around him and never let go of him again, right? She just, right? He's, he's, he's like, stop clinging to me. Stop clinging to me. I, I, I can't just, you know, she, she has a vision. She's going to grab him by the arm and, and, and not let him go. And she's going to walk him back and show the rest of the disciples and walk, show the whole world, look, here he is. It's Jesus. He's alive and all this. And he's saying, I can't do that right now. I can't do that right now. I can't go back with you right now. 
I have something that I have to do. I, I, I've got to. I got to go see my father. I'll be back. I can't go back with you right now. I got something to do. You have something to do. I need. I need you to go and tell my brothers that you've seen me and that I'm. I'm. I'm going to see them. Okay. So, stop clinging to me. But Jesus is saying. Don't hold on. I'm going to my father and your father. This is what I want you to tell them. I'm going to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Why does he say it this way? I'm going to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Jesus has been talking about For the last three and a half years, Jesus has been talking about and modeling a relationship with God that no one has ever seen before. He he talks about God as his father. He talks about a relationship that is familial, that is loving, that is close, that is tight. Right? Nobody's ever, you know, God has always been the Almighty. He's always been, you know, but, but here is Jesus in this relationship with the almighty God of the universe, an interactive, daily, loving relationship. And he's saying to them and to us, because of what I have just accomplished in my death and resurrection, he's not just my father, he's your father. He's not just my God, he's your God. Because of what I have just accomplished, what I have and had is now yours. What I had as a human being, he limited himself, right, to a human being. What I had as that human being, that close, tight relationship with Almighty God as my Father, is now yours. My Father, your Father. My God, your God. Have you ever had a sense that there was more? More to the Christian life? More than what you've had, what you've experienced? I heard a story just last night about a man who was, he he knew his time was close. He was in his his 80s and, uh, and, you know, doctor, and he he just knew the time was close. And he he was in the United States, but he, he... he started out in England, and he said, I, I need to go home one more time to, to where, where I was born. And uh, this was you know, back years ago in the 40s or whatever it is. And so he books passage on this, this big ship, and he's going to make the, the, the trek out to, uh, to England. So he, he's, he saved up for, for like two or three years to get enough money to go. And, and he, that's all he has, right? So he packs himself some cheese and crackers, just basic cheese and crack, not this the charcuterie stuff, right? Um, just the basic cheese and crackers, because that's, that's all he can afford. And so he, he's on this ship, and they're traveling across the ocean, and he, he gets out on deck for a walk one night, and he looks in, and here's all these people feasting. All this wonder steak and potatoes, veggies, and all this stuff, and he's starting to salivate. And you know, it's like wow. 
And then he goes back to his cabin and eats his cheese and crackers. And night after night, it's kind of the same thing. He goes out on deck, takes a breath of that, you know, salt air, and he looks in that window, and there all these people are feasting. And uh, so they 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 get to the destination. They're disembarking, and uh, he sees the captain as the captain's, you know, saying goodbye to everybody. He says, "Hey," he said, "I, I hope you had a good trip. We we sure missed you at dinner." Every, every, all these meals, you know, and, and he said, yeah, I know, but I, I spent all I had on, on my fare and I couldn't afford the, the food. And he said, he did, the, the captain had this just grimace look and he says, nobody told you? That was all included in the price of your ticket. And yet he settled for cheese and crackers. And can I say to you, with, with fingers pointing back at me, have we settled for cheese and crackers? Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, to kill and destroy. But I came, listen to these words, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. Life on earth, abundant in the Father's plan for us in a relationship with him that is like unto the relationship that Jesus had with him, that is now ours because of what he accomplished on the cross. You ever thought there might be more? Yeah. I think there is. And I, and I don't think... That if, we, that if we begin to say to the Lord today, God, I want, I want all you have for me. And we begin to seek him. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. He said, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Right? And if we begin to seek, I don't think we can exhaust that more. I don't think we can exhaust that abundance I think we can hear his voice plainer as the time goes, right? Be led by him, understand more and more, and, and be uh, not only uh, receive the graces that he has for our lives, which is a lot more than cheese and crackers, but also then to be led by him to bring this relationship to people in our sphere of influence. There is more that God has for us if we will but understand that and go after it. Got to go after it. And that all through the Bible, right? You got to press in. You got to go after it. But he says, if you do, you will find it. It'll be that pearl of great price that's worth everything else once you find it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, I don't think we have scratched the surface of what you came to bring us. I pray, Lord, you, you know, we're, we're so distracted. we got this going on and that going on and that other thing. 
put in our hearts. Would you do this, Lord? Would you put in our hearts a longing for heaven, a longing for you, a longing for your presence, a longing to experience the kind of relationship that Jesus is talking about here, a longing that transcends our desires on this earth, that we can put these really insignificant things behind and grab a hold of what you have for us. Which I know includes family and friends and, and different wonderful earthly experiences. But as you would lead us and guide us, and walk with us and us with you. Help us, Lord. Help us. Do a work in our hearts, Lord, we pray. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen.